Thanks for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. When Sarah Beth and I were in seminary, we were friends with this couple. Um, well, we were acquaintances, really, with this couple uh, from India. And they were a little older than us. They had some grown children that lived in Atlanta. So every time we would go and visit Sarah Beth's family in Macon, we would carpool with these folks. And we would drop them off in Atlanta with their daughter, and we'd pick them back up on our way back to Kentucky. That worked out pretty well. Well, one day when we were with these people, uh, we were we were at their house getting ready to leave, and they were not quite ready to leave yet. And the wife said, "Hey, we made these breakfast burritos for y'all, and uh, we just made them for the road. So if y'all are hungry, there's a bag you can eat some breakfast burritos while we get ready to go." So we were like, all right, yeah, I'm hungry. So Sarah Beth took a bag of breakfast burritos, and I took a bag of breakfast burritos, and we started eating. We didn't eat all of them. We didn't eat all of them. No, but we ate some of them, one apiece. And uh, when I say that these people were Indian, they were from India, okay? And we started eating, and I'm like, boy, this thing's good. And Sarah Beth took one bite, and she said, I don't know if I can finish this, Matt. It's too spicy. I said, oh, come on, Sarah Beth. Come on grow up. Come on, you can do it. It's not that spicy. I mean, it's a little spicy, but it's not too bad. And she took another bite and she said, I mean, she just starts sweating. She goes, Matt, I don't think I can do this. And I was like, oh my gosh, my wife is such a weakling. She can't even handle a little bit of spice. And that's when the wife came down and she said, oh my gosh, Sarah Beth, you're eating those? It turns out she made a bag of burritos for them. And they, she made a bag of burritos for the white people. I was eating the white burritos. Sarah Beth was eating the Indian burritos. I took a taste of hers, and my gosh, it was like the spiciest thing I ever put in my mouth. Yes, Ruth, I was very similar to that. You see, see she had a missing ingredient, or I had a missing ingredient in mine that was in Sarah Beth's. And there was something going on in this interaction where she knew about the missing ingredient, but I didn't. And it created this this conflict that we had temporarily. And I bring this up because in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, I feel like there is a missing ingredient. I kind of feel like I felt that day eating those burritos. Someone knows something, there's a missing ingredient here, and I'm missing out on what it is. Because last week we talked about uh, we talked about the Beatitudes and how Jesus kind of provided us this upside down way of living. You're blessed if you're missing something. You're blessed if you're connected with your own lack. But then in today's portion of the Sermon on the Mount, it, it makes me like wonder what happened to the Beatitudes. So let's jump into it. Today we're reading Matthew. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. 
You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can, it be, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after alighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm feeling a little bit of a whiplash here. Last year, last week, Jesus told me that you're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this week, he's telling me that unless my righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees, I won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So which is it, Jesus? Am I blessed if I am hungry, I'm empty of righteousness, or am I going to enter the kingdom of heaven if my righteousness is greater than the scribes of the Pharisees? There's a secret ingredient that I just cannot get my head around. So let's look at this passage closely and see if we can find the secret ingredient together. He starts off by calling us to be distinct. That's what this salt and light stuff is all about. We as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus are supposed to be distinct from the world. He talks about being the salt. Now, I love me some salt. In fact, my mom got us a, a Costco membership for Christmas. Oh, man, it was so great. And Sarah Beth and I went to Costco this past week, and we went a little bit crazy. And as a result, you might say we went a little hog wild, because as a result, there is a big old slab of pork belly that it's in my fridge right now, and it is curing to become homemade bacon. Now, I imagine if you just cooked up a pork belly and ate it, it'd probably be pretty good because it's pork, right? But it ain't bacon. The thing that makes bacon good is the fact that it's cured in salt. In fact, the actual secret ingredient for that is this little guy right here, prog powder number one, premium pink curing salt. Just a little bit of this curing salt in that bacon gives, gives it that really like distinctively bacony, salty flavor. Pork is good. Cured pork is so good. Salt has that unique flavor that sets it apart from other kinds of bacon, from other kinds of food. Salt, you mean you know when you've tasted salt. The other thing that salt does is that it pulls the moisture out of the bacon and preserves it. It, it makes it last for longer. That is why you had a lot of people curing meats back in the olden days before refrigeration. It just lasted longer. So salt has, this, has all these 
these great properties in that it makes it taste great. It preserves it for a long time. Salt is unique, and it, make, it has a unique flavor that it gives to food. In fact, Sarah Beth, remind me when we get home to flip that bacon over. I need to flip it once a day. Has a few more days to go until I can smoke it and eat it. But we are called to be distinct like salt. We want to have a special flavor of our lives that the world looks at and says, man, what's going on with that guy? What's going on with that girl? How come they are so, they're just salty in a way that's good? Jesus calls us not to be bland Christians. That's when he says, when salt has lost its flavor, we're not supposed to be useless and bland as Christians. We're supposed to stand out. But then there's all this pressure, you know, because Jesus says, if it's no longer good, you just throw it out and trample it under your foot. Well, I don't want Jesus to throw me out and trample me under his foot. So how do I make sure I'm not a bland Christian? It kind of goes from this great encouraging thing to this, this high stakes endeavor of, well, I better make sure I am stand out or else she's going to trample me. How's a square with the Beatitudes? I don't know. Then you got the light. Jesus says to be the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. A city built on a hill, especially, you know, with, in a world without a bunch of artificial lighting, if you've got a city on a hill that's light, you can see it for miles around. If you're stranded or lost or if you're at night, you see that city and you're like, okay, I guess I'll go in that direction. A light on a stand, you don't cover it up, but you, you light it up to show to the world. We're supposed to be a, a source of light and a source of, of hope for the world. But do you know what else light does? <laughs> light reveals stuff. And if I'm supposed to be the light of the world, that's put some pressure on me. If you're going to look to me for hope, if you're going to look to me for guidance, if you're going to look to me for light, then I'd better make sure I don't have anything I want to hide. Because if I do, you'll be able to see it. That's kind of a lot of pressure on me. I don't know if I want to be the light of the world because I don't know if I can hold up to that kind of scrutiny. How does that square with the Beatitudes? How does that square with... Blessed are the, those in pure in heart, the poor in spirit, those who mourn. I don't want you to look at me while I'm mourning. So how does that square with this, this backwards way of living? If I'm supposed to be on a pedestal for other people to look at, I don't know if I am good enough for people to be looking at me. If I'm supposed to be salt that, that stands out and is distinct in the world, how do I make sure I don't lose my flavor so I don't get trampled underfoot? And then he goes on to say that Jesus hasn't abolished the law. In fact, he says, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Which is bad news for me because, as I just mentioned, I've got a whole slab of pork in my fridge. <laughs> and uh, according to the Old Testament law, I'm not even supposed to handle that stuff, much less eat it. So if that's true, then I'm already in trouble. And that's just because of my Costco trip. Forget all the other ways that this Old Testament law has been broken. We don't follow the law, and people in Jesus' day couldn't follow the law. In fact, he says not even the, 
unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, will you ever enter the kingdom of heaven? If anybody was going to be good enough to enter the kingdom of heaven by their own righteousness, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. These people, their whole job, their whole lives were, were structured around making their lives so that they would not break the law. They, they created a law that was even stricter than the Old Testament law so that they might not accidentally break the law. If we follow this more restrictive law that we have, then we can be sure we don't follow, we don't break the wider law. The, the law is an impossible standard. And I, Jesus knows that. And I think he's pointing it out. But Jesus is calling us to be distinct too. And the thing is, we cannot possibly hope to be distinct by being rule followers. We just can't do it. Like I said, if anybody was going to do it, it was going to be the Pharisees. But Jesus said that they didn't measure up either because you had to have greater righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees. And if they can't do it, then I can't do it either. Which means that if my, if my distinctiveness as a Christian depends on my morality, then I'm going to be too bland. If my distinctiveness as a Christian depends on my ability to do all of the right things, then I will not be the light on a hill because I just can't do it. I don't, I'm not righteous enough. I'm not good enough. And so the question is, is Jesus setting us up to fail? Is Jesus trying to, to set us up with this standard that's too high for us? I think the answer is actually yes. I think the point of Jesus's sermon up to this point is to illustrate that we cannot follow the law on our own. We can't do it. We cannot be distinct by following the law. We cannot have righteousness that exceeds the scribes of the Pharisees by ourselves. We just can't do it. I think Jesus is setting us up to fail because he is setting us up to realize that because we can't do it on our own, we need him. So Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Fulfill means to fill up. It means that the law and the prophets got us part of the way, got the glass part of the way full, but Jesus came to pour himself out so that he could fill the glass up the rest of the way. Jesus did this through the cross and the resurrection because he knew that there was something that God's people needed. They needed rescue. They needed hope. They needed a way out of sin. And the law could not give it to them. And so Jesus finished the job on the cross and the resurrection and the empty tomb. Grace finished the law that the law started. Grace reconciled us to God. The law showed us where we fell short and grace helped us to not fall short. Grace is the secret ingredient that Jesus is foreshadowing here. Grace is the thing that was missing. 
You see, grace makes us distinct in a way that rule following never could. Grace is what makes the people of God stand out in a world that is utterly graceless. It gives us a flavor that the world cannot duplicate. And it gives us a light that people can actually follow. Grace makes us distinct because it doesn't require perfection from us. Right? If if my distinctiveness is all about my morality, then people will find out eventually the ways that I'm immoral and they'll say, well, he, he holds himself up as an example, but he's just a hypocrite. But if I'm holding up grace as my distinctiveness, I can say, I'm an imperfect sinner. Yeah, I've got problems. Yeah, I'm immoral in certain ways. And God's grace has covered that, and he'll cover you too. Grace is a brighter light than morality ever could be. Grace is saltier than morality ever could be. We cannot go bland if we're people of grace because the world never stops needing grace. It never stops preserving, and it never stops tasting good. This frees us up so much. We don't have to be distinct from the world because of how much we stand up for faith or because we have a better value system or because we know how to act better. We don't have to worry about that stuff. Jesus takes care of that stuff. We can stand out for the world because we can offer them something that sin cannot offer them. Grace. We can offer them something that that the systems of the world can't offer them. Grace. Yeah, you've messed up. Yeah, you might mess up in the future. Jesus offers grace. And that gives us a way that is distinct in a way that that is consistent with the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit because God's grace covers you and gets you into the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted by God's grace. You see how how grace is the key ingredient. It's the secret sauce of what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law through grace. So that when we don't measure up, when our righteousness is less than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus' grace gets us the rest of the way. The way that we're distinctive as Christians cannot be because of more morality. We will fall short. It must be because we model the kind of grace that we have received from Jesus Christ. So how do we become people of grace? He says that people should see our good works, right? Good works of grace that become Christian distinctives. The kind of grace that Jesus gives us, it means that when someone messes up, even one that hurts us real bad, we offer them grace and forgiveness. It means that we act with kindness to people that can't do anything for us, that can't help us in any way. We still put ourselves out for them. We still offer kindness to them. Does that mean we just roll over and and let anything happen, anything goes? No, we still stand up to evil. 
but we stand up to evil for the sake of other people. We offer grace to those who are on the receiving end of evil. It means that we're people who constantly offer second chances. And we're people who constantly listen to those who don't get listened to. People of grace are people who care about others more than we care about ourselves. We know this kind of stuff. But that's the kind of stuff that made the early church so distinct. It's not because they stood up and fought. It's because they stood up and died for other people. People, you know, the, the, the early Romans accused Christians of a lot of things, but they never accused them of being unkind because they just couldn't do it because the Christians went out of their way to take care of those who needed it because they were people of grace. So God is calling us today, I believe, to be distinct, to be a salt and a light to the people around us. But God forgive us if we think that we can be distinct because of our own morals. We just can't do it. Our distinctiveness has to come from him. So today, accept the grace of God in your life. Accept that you cannot measure up in a moral sense, but God has given you grace. And then commit to being a distinctive person in the world because of how much grace you offer other people. And just see what God does through that. See how God acts through that. Because I promise you, it'll be better than anything else you could try. Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, so often we try to act like we can be good Christians, model citizens, by how moral and upstanding we are. God, we are not good enough. Our righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so we know we're going to fall short. But God, we know that you have given us the secret ingredient, the secret sauce of your word, which is your grace. God, your grace covers us. It makes up where we fall short, and it makes us distinct. God, help grace be the thing that defines this church. Help grace be the thing that defines these people. Make grace the thing that defines me. So that when other people think of me, they think, there goes a graceful man. The word of God must be living and active in him. God, I pray that you will make us salt and light, not because of our own worthiness, but because of your worthiness. God, give us grace that makes us distinct this morning. In your name I pray. Amen.